Morning. This morning we're going to take a look at what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit. And we are continuing our series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, just to kind of recap a little bit, we started this series looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, who He is, and we saw that the person is not something that we use, but rather it's someone that we know. We examined the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We saw what He does, and we saw that the Holy Spirit's aim in everything that He does is to exalt Christ to set people apart for God and His purposes, and to engage His people in mission. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God. A couple weeks ago, Zach taught uh, on the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to look at what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, And it is a wonderful gift to us that God would lead us by His Spirit. More than just a gift, though, it is also a tremendous need for us that we would be led by the Holy Spirit. And so please join me now as we pray and ask ask the Holy Spirit to teach us the Word of God today so we might be people who are led by the Spirit. Father God, we thank You for this opportunity to gather in Your name. We thank You, Father, that You have given us a helper someone who will lead us into the truth. And this morning, God, we say we want to be led. We want to be led into the truth. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would instruct us, that you would convict us, that you would change us and grow us. God, give us hearts to respond. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we consider what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit, we're going to start by taking a quick look at the life of Jesus. Uh, Scripture shows us that Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, relied on the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Apostle Luke tells us in Luke chapter 3 that at Jesus' baptism, which is the the very beginning, the official beginning of Jesus' public ministry, The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And then in the next chapter, Luke shows us that the result of the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus is that he's full of the Spirit, and he immediately returns to Galilee, and he's led by the Spirit. We see that the Holy Spirit had anointed Jesus to teach and to minister. And throughout his ministry, the Bible tells us over and over again that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. So throughout his life, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And he was led by the Holy Spirit to live very specifically in the will of the Father. He lived his life in submission to the Father, only doing what the Father told him to do, saying what the Father told him to say. Jesus only did and said what the Father wanted him to when the Father wanted him to. Probably this is the most significant point from Jesus' life for us to look at today as we consider what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus was led by the Spirit to do the will of the Father. That's the example for us in our life as we desire to be led by the Spirit. Why would Jesus submit his life to be led by the Spirit? Why would Jesus surrender control of his life to the Father? That's the big question. Well, Jesus very 
pointedly answers that question over and over again. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit and submitted himself to the will of God because of love. It's a love story. He says this in John chapter 5. In verse 20, he says, The Father loves the Son, and he shows him all things that he himself is doing. Because the Father loves the Son, and so he reveals his plans to the Son. The Father does to the Son. Verse 30, Jesus continues. He goes, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, love is the motivation. It was because of love that the Father shows Jesus what he's doing. It's because of this love that Jesus obeys the will of the Father. And so being led by the Spirit is a love relationship that is initiated by God. We are loved by God, and so we, in turn, love God and obey God. And so when we say, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit, I want to be a Spirit-led person, what we're really saying, if we want to be a, a biblically correct person, what we're really meaning by that is, I want to fulfill the will of the Father. This is what the Spirit will lead us into. The Spirit will only and always lead us into the will of God. Now, why would you want to do the will of God? It's kind of a similar question to what we asked. Why would Jesus submit himself to doing the will of God? It's the same answer. We submit to the will of God because God loves us and we love him. Love, therefore, is the foundation to being led by the Holy Spirit. Love is the foundation to being led by the Holy Spirit. And so being led by the Spirit starts with knowing the love of God, being changed by the love of God, growing in the love of God, enjoying the love of God, celebrating God's love for you. God loves you. He knows you. He's intimately acquainted with, with every aspect of who you are. He cares about every detail of your life. God painstakingly orchestrated every detail of creation, your creation, and he now presides sovereignly over the details for our, the provision of our daily lives. He's made extreme sacrifice so that we could know him and be with him and be led by him. And not only does God love us, he wants to lead us. God wants to lead us. The Bible says, on paths of righteousness for his namesake. And so being led by the Spirit, it's not only about God's love, it's about God's glory. He leads us, yeah, in love. He leads us on the path of righteousness for his namesake, for his glory, in other words. And so as we know and grow in God's love for us, we will glorify him more and more in our life. Our lives will bring glory to God. So being led by the Spirit is the activity, is an activity of receiving God's love and responding to it by obeying him and bringing him glory as he leads us on paths of righteousness. Now throughout the Bible, from the very beginning all the way through the end, we see that the Holy Spirit is the agent of the Father's work. The Father works by the Spirit. And so we should expect to be led by the Holy Spirit. This isn't some optional thing for, like, those charismatic people or something, right? This is something that we should expect. Every Christian should expect and seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually promised this. In John chapter 16, he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but he will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He'll tell you about the future. That's a cool promise. We're going to talk about that in a minute. See, the Spirit is God's agent working in our lives individually and corporately. 
Now, the Apostle Paul uh, picks up on this idea, and, and he expounds on it and gives us a picture of what it looks like. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. See, it's not optional. He's like, let the Holy Spirit guide you. He says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite what the sinful nature desires. See, these two forces are constantly fighting one another, and so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. The results of following our sinful nature are this. Paul says, if sexual immorality or impurity or lustful pleasures or idolatry or sorcery or hostility or quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger or selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Paul says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, that, that's, that's the lifestyle of someone who's not submitted to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then he contrasts it in the rest of this passage. This is what the Spirit-led life looks like. Verse 22, he says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and they have crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Isn't that a wonderful passage, the promises that are there? And so what Paul is saying, some of the main points of that, is that the Spirit guides us, the Spirit gives us good desires, He changes our desires. The Spirit directs us very specifically, very, in very detailed ways. The Spirit produces good things in us. The Spirit leads us. Paul continues this idea in Romans chapter 8. He says, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, right? The leadership of the Holy Spirit is what identifies us as sons of God. Verse 15, he says, for you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen to this in verse 16. He says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, hopefully you know that in Christ we are made new creations. We're no longer identified by what we used to do and the passions we used to have. We are now sons and daughters of God. And what Romans 8.16 tells us is that the current, present ministry of the Holy Spirit right now in your life because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you, is to remind you of who you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit will convince you and convict you and remind you and spur you on to be a child of God. And because we're God's dearly loved sons and daughters, there ought to be an expectancy in our lives for the loving Father to lead us. We should expect that our good Father would lead us very clear point in scripture. Our Father wants to lead us by His Spirit. We are to be a people who are led by the Spirit, who walk by the Spirit. We're a people who are led by God because He loves us, and we're a people who are led for God's glory. Now, some Christians 
don't believe that the Holy Spirit leads us in our lives today. That's why I'm kind of making a point of this right now. It's important for us to kind of get that out in the open. There are groups of people and in, in, in ways of, of thinking about Christianity. Some people just don't believe that he gives us specifically what we need when we need it in a, in a present way. That you can't have a present understanding and knowledge of God today apart from what has already been said. That God doesn't lead you. Now, if we're to be a people who read the Bible and follow the God of the Bible, we have to see and know that God has always desired relationship and a place of leadership with his people. There's never been a season where God did not desire that. From Genesis through Revelation, we see a God who's anxious and eager to speak to his people. God who's eager for his people to know his love. A God who's persistently pursuing his people, actively pursuing. Scripture shows us a good father. A good father who wants to be with and lead his children. Because we've not been abandoned as orphans. The Bible clearly shows that we are the beloved of God. And so we see the same uh, progression of the Holy Spirit coming upon the early church as we saw in the life of Jesus. Remember, I went through that in Luke chapters 3 and 4. Well, in Acts, we see the same thing in Acts chapters 2 and 3. We see the Spirit coming upon them. We see they're filled with the Spirit. We see them go out and minister in the power of the Spirit. We see that they are anointed for very specific things within the ministry of the Father that they're engaged in, and they are led by the Holy Spirit. And so we see in the book of Acts three primary ways that the Holy Spirit leads. There's three obvious ways. The Spirit leads individuals. The Spirit leads groups of people, small groups of people even. And the Spirit leads the church. It's a corporate leadership of the Spirit. Uh, The Spirit leading individuals is seen, in in my opinion, just in a beautiful way. In Acts chapter 8, we have this picture of Philip. It says this, starting in verse 26. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is a desert road. That's very specific leading from God there. It says, So he got up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch who was a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and he was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, and he's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, as an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, just because of the nature of how his body had been mutilated and and what he did and where he was from, he would not have been allowed into a place of intimacy in the temple. And so he's probably leaving Jerusalem disappointed, probably leaving Jerusalem without having experienced the kind of teaching that the people can experience on the inner courts of the temple. He'd been in the outer courts of the temple. And so here he is, reading Isaiah, trying to figure this out. And it says that the Holy Spirit says to Philip, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. Philip runs up, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? The man says, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip teaches him all about Jesus in Isaiah, bears witness to the testimony of the life of Jesus and the death and the resurrection and the opportunity we have to be new creations in Christ in that. They're going along and they see a puddle. Apparently it's deep enough to be baptized in. The eunuch's like, hey, what prevents me? Philip's like, nothing. And they pull over and boom, dip him down. 
And then it says, as he's pulling him out of the water, Philip is snatched up by the Holy Spirit, no longer with this guy. The guy gets back in his chariot and he rides off, just rejoicing in what had just happened. Philip is led by the Holy Spirit of God. Spirit leads individuals to do the will and the work of the Father. We also see the Holy Spirit leading groups of people. It's the second way the Spirit leads. We see this in Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul is leading uh, like a, a, a little missions trip, a little group of missionaries. It says, they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. For whatever reason, the Holy Spirit was like, nope. Don't go to Asia right now. Don't speak to this in Asia. After they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Again, the Holy Spirit's like, no, don't go there. Passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and then a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, standing and appearing to him, appealing to him, excuse me, saying, come to Macedonia, help us. When he had seen the vision, okay, when Paul had seen the vision, it says, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Now, Paul is not, did not write the book of Acts. The apostle Luke wrote the book of Acts. And so he says, Paul, having seen this vision, he goes, we sought to go to Macedonia. He receives it. There was this confirmation within this group. And it says, we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That the Holy Spirit had spoken to and oppressed upon the will of the Father upon this group of missionaries that's out there. That God was wanting to lead very specifically this group of people. Now, I get excited when I read that passage because in the last couple of weeks I've been praying. I've been like, Lord, how do you want to lead my little group of people? How do you want to lead my family? I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, what specific things do you have for us? My community group or whatever, this, this thing that I do with my friends. The Holy Spirit was very specific. And the third way we see the Spirit leading is in the church. It's the corporate leading of the Holy Spirit. We see this in the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. It says in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And then he lists these prophets and teachers. Uh, there's Barnabas, there's Simeon, there's Lucius. Uh, there's uh, Menean, and there's Herod, or excuse me, no, who's raised with Herod, and then there's Saul. And as they're ministering to the Lord and fasting, it says, okay, while they're worshiping and fasting, these guys are going for it. They're, they're, they're foregoing food because they want to give everything to the Lord. They want to focus entirely on the Lord. It says, as they're doing that, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Okay, Barnabas and Saul were like on that very short list of these amazing men that the Holy Spirit was using in this church. And they're like, send them away to go do something for me. And then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Churches together worshiping, submitting themselves to the will of God, fasting, and they're led by the Spirit corporately. The Spirit spoke to the whole congregation. So the summary here is that Scripture clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit leads clearly and specifically to individuals, to small groups, to the church. But it's very unclear exactly what this looks like, how this happens. Because we're not told very many details in Scripture. Often it's just like the Spirit said, or the Spirit impressed upon me. Or there's that one point where it says uh, he was bound by the Spirit. Or someone might be given a vision 
or Paul has that one way, he says, um, uh, the Spirit solemnly testifies to me. And it's like, what does that really mean, right? Was that an audible voice? Was it like a physical thing that appeared and then disappeared? Was he bound by the Spirit? Like, did the Spirit tie him up with ropes or something? Like, what does that mean? Was it just an impression that they got? Was it this kind of unshakable sense? See, we're not told those details. And part of the reason for that is the way the Spirit communicates to each of us is unique because God is a good Father and He knows us individually. God knows how we need to hear from Him. God knows how to communicate to you. God will speak to me while I'm driving, while I'm in the shower, while I'm hiking, while I'm studying, when I'm in my time alone with the Lord in Scripture, reading the Word, praying. See, God knows me, and God knows how and when to speak with me. Like any good father or any good mother, he's careful to communicate with his children intentionally. I've got five kids, and I don't speak to them all the same way. I can't. They're individual. They're very different. I don't speak with my jeeping buddies, the guys I go off-roading with. I don't talk with them the same way I talk with my mom or my wife, right? I mean, it's edifying conversation stuff. We're all Christians. But it's just very different than when I'm hanging out with my wife. It's my, the, the way I interact with them is different. I don't speak to a new neighbor who moves on my block the same way I do with all the people that have lived there for 15 years that we've been there. It's, it's different. And how much better is God at communicating with each of us? God wants to communicate with you and lead you. And yeah, it's mysterious. It's going to be a lifelong endeavor to hear the voice of God. It's going to be a lifelong endeavor to seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But is it an audible voice? Is it a vision that you see? Is it an impression you get? Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what it is for you. For me, I've never actually heard an audible voice from God. I've never seen a a physical thing appear and then disappear, but God does speak to me, and God has shown me vision, and often I just feel uh, an unshakable conviction that I know that I know that it's the Lord, and often I'm in the Word of God, and I'm in prayer, and I've created a space for it. The Lord is also very kind to me by giving me confirmation usually, because God knows me, and He knows that I act when I know that I know that it's from the Lord. Now, as an example, uh, I remember vividly when the Holy Spirit led me to leave my job, my good-paying job, where I was working for my dad. It was my dad's retirement plan and his family business that we had. And the Lord led me away from that to go to work at a church at, at, at Reality. Now, the first step in that was that the Holy Spirit had led us, led my wife, to leave her teaching job where she had climbed the pay ladder all the way to the very top, and in, in, in a school district for 10 years, loved the job, everyone loved her, and the Holy Spirit told us that she wasn't supposed to work anymore. And so step one was, wife comes home, which we're like, okay, that's crazy. And then the Holy Spirit said, Billy, you need to leave your job. Like, just step away. And then the Holy Spirit was like, just say yes. Like, we had so much, like, unction from the Lord and confirmation. We hadn't even talked about the pay or what that looked like or when it started. We were like, we know that the Lord is leading us into this. Now, how did I know it was the Lord? That's the big question. Everyone's like, okay, whatever. But how did you know? Here, here's the first step. Here's the first way I knew it was the Lord. Guys, especially write this down. My wife and I agreed on everything. <laughs> That's a good sign, right? It's a good sign. 
We're stepping into a season that, as it turns out, was going to be a two-thirds pay cut. And we're both like, yes, to the Lord. But I'll tell you, bear witness, in the last nine years, we're way healthier financially than we'd ever been before with a third less money. How? Why? Because the Holy Spirit's leading. I don't know. I don't, math's not my thing. How do we know it was the Lord? <laughs> Spending used to be my thing. <laughs> This was also confirmed by multiple people. I've made many Lone Ranger decisions in my life, and I've deeply regretted all of them. And so we sought counsel. We sought accountability. We sought lots of prayer, and we received, by the grace of God, lots of confirmation. There were other things, too. I couldn't escape the heart that God had given me and God had given my wife. All of a sudden, we had like this heart for other people in the church to pursue Jesus more. It was like, we felt like we barely had our eyeballs above water. We had two kids at the time. Just funny, we were totally overwhelmed with two kids. Total lightweights. <laughs> and then God started birthing in us this passion for others to know Jesus. And he started giving us the, the grace and the bandwidth to open up our home. And he gave us this heart to like shepherd people. Like we're caring about people's drama, which is like, you know, that is the Lord in my life, right? I couldn't explain it. I knew the Spirit was leading me. I knew the Spirit was leading me to say yes. Now, I realize my example may not be very helpful. It's not exactly a practical uh, step-by-step guide. But listen, I don't think there is a practical step-by-step guide. I think it's always going to be mysterious. This is a spiritual relationship with God. But just because it's mysterious doesn't mean that there are not some practical guidelines or practical ways you can kind of say, yeah, I, I know that the Holy Spirit's leading in this. I just want to share two of them with you. Uh, the first one is that the Spirit teaches us the Word of God before leading us to work for God. That's so you'll know the Spirit's leading in someone or leading in you. Is the Spirit teaches us the Word of God before leading us to work for God. The Spirit's teaching precedes the Spirit's leading. John chapter 14, Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. See, the Holy Spirit first makes clear to us the Word of God. He teaches us. Then the Holy Spirit applies the Word of God to the particular situations in our life. He reminds, brings to our recollection the Word of God as we navigate situations and relationships. Remember this passage from John 16. Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. The Holy Spirit teaches us the Word of God, and he tells us about the future. Isn't that fun? Why does the Holy Spirit tell us about the future? Well, there are a lot of details in my life and in our lives that aren't spelled out specifically in the Word of God. For example, the Bible doesn't specifically say anything about me taking one job opportunity or another, right? It's not like there's a little section tucked away in Romans where it's like, oh, and by the way, Billy, in the future, when you read this, say yes or something. That's not there. I need the present ministry of the Holy Spirit to reveal the future to me. And he does that. He doesn't address who you're going to marry, right? He, the Holy God, it's a, you can't turn to a chapter and verse in the Bible and go, oh, this is God's will for my life. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit to tell you the future. The Bible doesn't say specifically if, when, or where you should quit your job, sell your house, and move overseas to be a missionary. 
on mission for God somewhere else. How do you know it's you? How do you know when? How do you know how? How do you know if it's the Lord's will? Well, you'll know because the Holy Spirit's going to reveal the future to you. And he's going to lead you into the future in that way. The Spirit wants to lead us in these things and more, church. But here's the deal. This is what I've seen in my life, to my shame. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us more than we're willing to be led. Why? Because God cares more about these things than oftentimes we do. But this all starts with the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, immersing ourselves in the Word. And then there's this guiding ministry of the Spirit as He leads us to walk in and obey the Word of God. Now, we need to be taught the Word of God because we need to know the nature of God because the Holy Spirit will only and always lead you in line with God's nature and God's character. The Holy Spirit will not lead you in a way contrary to the nature and the character of God. So how do we know the nature and the character of God? The Holy Spirit instructs us in the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God. And the second guideline is to be led by the Spirit requires surrender to His will and a willingness to be convicted of sin. It requires surrender to His will and a willingness to be convicted of sin. There are times in my life when I sincerely desire to be led by the Spirit. And the way I know it's sincere is because those are the seasons where I'm willing to submit to the will of God and I'm willing to be convicted of and repent of sin. See, if we're not willing to submit to the will of God and we're not willing to, to, to be convicted of sin and repent of sin, then we're not willing to be led by God because that's what God is going to do in us. The Spirit is going to lead you in the will of God on a path of righteousness. Apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, work it out. Be aware of it. Be in tune with what's going on in your life. There's a work that's happening in you that you need to be aware of and you need to part, at least participate in. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which is just a, a way of saying reverence. Reverently work this thing out. Participate in it. He says, for it's God who is at work in you. It's God who's doing the work, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because the Father loves us, he leads us by his Spirit, teaching us God's will, changing the way we think, changing our desires. God is doing a good work in us by the Spirit. He says, pay attention to that. And so if we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, we need to give careful attention to spiritual growth. If we're serious about being led by the Spirit, we, we need to pay close attention to spiritual growth. And I, I believe there's four foundational spiritual disciplines we, we really need to hone in on in order to be Spirit-led people. The first one is read and study the Word of God. Read and study the Word of God. I mean, give yourself to it. The Bible is alive and active. The Word of God renews our mind transforms our lives. Listen, don't leave here today saying that you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, but you have no intention or plan to spend regular time in the Word of God studying the Word of God. It's not going to happen. That doesn't work. The Spirit's never going to lead you in a way that's contrary to the Word of God. You can't say that God's Spirit is leading you if you don't know the Word of God. A big way the Spirit is going to lead you is in the Word of God and through your time in the Word of God. If we want to be led by the Spirit of God, we must immerse ourselves in the Word of God. The second spiritual discipline is to practice regular times of prayer. 
to practice regular times of prayer. And remember, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. It's not us just uh, talking at God. God wants to speak and lead. He wants to apply the Word of God to our hearts, and He wants to convict us of sin as we practice prayer. So we need to be committed to practicing regular times of prayer. The third spiritual discipline, this, is a, this has been a, a massive one in my life, so I'm going to talk about it a little longer. The third spiritual discipline is giving ourselves to undistracted, unhurried, quiet times with God. Like, really giving ourselves to that. Unhurried, quiet time, undistracted, quiet time. We have to make room for this. We need to be in the presence of Jesus. We need to do this. See, God, by His Spirit, wants us to be with Him, to speak to us and lead us. Because we live in a loud and hurried culture. We live in a culture that does not value quiet, unhurried, undistracted time. We're always distracted, or we're always hurried. It's never quiet. This is counter to our culture. We're not, you don't naturally pick this up being raised in the world. This is necessary because it's a place of growth in hearing from the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't or we won't hear from the Lord otherwise, but listen, we may never pursue if we never pursue quiet, unhurried, undistracted time with the Lord, we may never experience his presence or his voice or his leading in our life if we're too busy and too distracted and there's just too much noise in our heart and our minds. Without making time for this, we may never experience true intimacy with Christ. Now, again, this isn't just because it's been significant in, in my spiritual life. Jesus is our model for this. We see Jesus in the book of Mark, the first chapter of the book of Mark. Jesus is in uh, bumping ministry, going crazy. It says the whole town where he was was at the doorstep of this house to hear him and to experience healing and just to be involved with and engaged with the ministry Jesus was doing, the will of the Father that was happening there through Christ. They're there until the wee hours of the night. And then it says this, verse 35 of Mark 1. It says, early in the morning... While it was still dark. How early did Jesus get up? Early, right? Jesus got up. He left the house. He went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. Jesus sought seclusion away from people, away from distractions, away from comfort, in order to hear from the Father. He had to get out of the house because he, di he didn't want a, you know, one of his disciples to walk in or, or some person who really sincerely needed to be ministered to to come in and interrupt his time with the Father. He's like, those are all good things, but I have to be with my father. And so what did he do? He got up gnarly early, dark early, oh dark 30 you might say. Secluded, quiet place, away, out. Where do you go to hear from God? Think about that question. Are you intentional to cultivate time in your life to really listen to God? I love Zion National Park. Uh, if you know me even a little bit, you probably know that. I, I would go there every week if I could. Um, I love going there alone, especially in the off-season. Um, I don't hear my own voice when I'm there for three days straight, usually. I just put a backpack on my back, and I just go out, and I'm by myself. No campground, just me and Jesus, my word, and this view that is just, you know, God screaming, I love you, for three days. It is my favorite thing in the world to do, but realistically, I've, I can't go there very often. So I love listening to God at Royal Verde Park, 
this beautiful trail. There's a few people there, right? The cell service goes in and out, which bums me out, so I just turn it off. I love it there because the Spirit has space to speak and lead. And why is that? Why are those places significant to me? And I've, you know, I'm not a smart person. I finally figured it out. These are some of the few moments in my life where I'm not hurried and I'm undistracted. Because these are some of the places where God can actually get my attention. Because when I'm at Zion or I'm at Arroyo Verde back on that trail, I don't have a device in my hands. I don't have a screen in front of my face. It's a sacred time and a sacred place for me. It reminds me of the value of prioritizing time with the Lord. If we want to be a people who hear from God, we need to be a people who spend less time with our devices and less time with our distractions and more time in quiet, unhurried time with Jesus. That we would make room for the Spirit to move. That we would create space for the Lord to speak to us. See, our culture trains us to never let there be a quiet moment. Never. Even when you're given an easy one, even when it's like a lob, slow pitch, right? We, we, we just whiff on that. You go to the doctor's office, you sign in, and they're like, oh, the doctor's not back from lunch yet. Just take a seat. It'll be a few minutes, right? You know it's going to be like 10 minutes. What do we do? Be honest. What do we do? This is what we do, right? You look around in the room, everyone else who's waiting 10 minutes for the doctor, what are they doing? They're doing the same dang thing, right? We, we distract ourselves. We get in the car. What do we do? We turn the stereo on. Or maybe some of you are super naughty and you're doing this too, which you shouldn't do. We get home and we sit on the couch. What do we do? We open our laptop. You get, you get time off or finally an evening free or a day off. And what do you do? I don't know. In the flesh, maybe I would sleep for half of the day and then binge watch something on Netflix. I fill my time with distractions. See, God is far more willing to speak to us then we are willing to listen because we seldom make room in our lives to hear from God. We seldom create space in our heart, in our mind, and just practically in our life to listen to the voice of God. Now, some of you are hearing this, and you're like, dude, Billy is really hammering us today. He's like anti-iPhone. He's like anti-Netflix or something like that. Listen and hear this, okay? This isn't the problem, right? I even have Netflix on this. That's not the problem. I'm the problem. Netflix isn't the problem. I'm the problem. My priorities are the problem. If, if we want to be a people who hear from God, we have to be a people who make space in our lives so we're not so dang distracted all the time. I know in my life this is a heart issue because all of life's fun distractions, and I love fun distractions. I do. I love fun distractions. All of life's fun distractions can, if I'm not very careful, keep me from quieting myself and hearing from God. Creating and exploring quiet times with Jesus is necessary. But God will speak to me in other times. When I'm running 100 miles an hour stressed out, the Lord will lead me. Right? When I'm praying for someone, God, God directs me and guides me through the day as he does you. But listen, we need to cultivate ears to hear him and discerning his voice among all the other good things and distractions. See, Jesus had a lot of good things going on in that house in Mark chapter 1, but he had to leave that house in order to do a better thing, which is to hear from the Father. And so in my life, I have to ask God, how, where do I go? How do I pursue the better thing? How do I pursue intimacy? 
We need to cultivate ears to hear him. Time in undistracted, unhurried quietness with God in the word and in prayer. And then the final spiritual practice to cultivate spiritual growth, number four for you note takers, is repentance. Spiritual discipline of repentance. If we want to cultivate spiritual growth, we must cultivate a heart of repentance. Now, I'll just confess to you, often in my life, I will pray for the Spirit to guide me and to lead me, and I'll offer Him control of my life. I'll say things like, wherever you lead, I'll go. I just want to birth this new thing. I feel like there's just something that's missing here, and I want to charge in this ministry. But all along, here's what's happening. I'm not responding to the Holy Spirit that's trying to lead me in quiet places and convicting me of some sin or something that I just don't want to pay attention to at that moment. As if I get to pick and choose which ways God gets to use me and lead me. Like I'm the one that decides that. Total arrogance on my part. And I think we tend to do this. We, we tend to offer up good requests for God, right? What job do I take? Who am I supposed to marry? God, how am I supposed to deal with this stinking teenager, right? Give me words to say. See, these are good prayer requests. These are good things to ask God. But the problem is sometimes our tendency is we ignore the tough work that the Spirit is leading us in letting go of control or convicting us of sin. See, it's arrogant for us to ignore the Spirit in some areas but ask Him to speak in others. It's just arrogant, like we're trying to control God. Now, these in my life are usually the sin issues that God wants to deal with, but I'm just like, that's not the right time. It's drama, you know. Or it's the control issues where God's like, hey, let go of that. And I'm like, but if I let go of that, this this whole gig is going to jam to the left here. And God's like, trust me. I'm like, "Ah, I'm not in the space to trust you. I've kind of got a bumping ministry going on here right now. I don't know if you know that, God, right? But God's like, let go. What are you doing? See, the leading of the Holy Spirit is inseparable from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The leading and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit are hand in hand. They're they're, They're not distinct from one another. The leading of the Spirit requires a teachable servant's heart and mind. And if we allow, if we want to follow God, we must surrender control of our lives to God. Jesus said this. He said, if any of you, he's talking to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. The NASB says you must surrender or give up your life. Take up a cross and follow me. Powerful. Paul in Galatians 5 says, To those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. See, there's a, there's a death that's taken place. And today the Spirit wants to deal with our control issues. The Spirit wants to deal with our distractions. The Spirit wants to deal with those, those like little sacred sin issues that we protect. The Spirit even wants to deal with and identify the mindless endeavors that we pursue or the hours of wasted time in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to move in those ways in a way that brings us closer to the Father, brings us deeper into the Word, and brings us to a place of Holy Spirit leadership. God is more willing to speak in us and lead us than we are willing to listen and be led. And so today, let's cultivate a heart surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this look like? How does God lead us? I'm going to give you another scripture, one very familiar to probably everyone in here. Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, our God, our loving Father, he's our loving shepherd. 
leading us and protecting us and providing for us. We have time today to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday we do this. Today I believe it's significant that we would set aside every Sunday after the sermon an undistracted, unhurried time to be with God in worship, to really be present with the Lord. And today let's use this opportunity to cultivate, to allow the Lord to cultivate a willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit, that we would come before God and ask God to cultivate a lifestyle that's immersed in the Word, to make space for that, a lifestyle that's immersed in prayer, that God would show us to make space for that, that we would cultivate ears to hear the voice of God, that we would cultivate a lifestyle, a regular pattern of undistracted, unhurried, quiet times with God, that we would ask God and engage in the desire of God to cultivate hearts of repentance and hearts of surrender, that we would let go. Now, now listen, you, remember you're unique. Recognize your uniqueness. God wants to speak to you today. How can you put yourself in a place to hear from God? For some of you, that's like, no, I know. I'm, I've got a spot on the carpet up there. I'm going to go do business with the Lord right now on your face. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to just raise your hands and worship and praise God today. Maybe you need to sit in your seat quietly in, the, in a dark room and just be with Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you need to like plan some time outside this afternoon. Royal Verde is going to be jammed with repenting Christians, I think, today. <laughs> but let's think about this. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit this week. And let's respond to the Holy Spirit right now as we worship. Amen? Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for your incredible love for us, God. This morning now, as we approach you in worship, as we as we come before you and we declare these things and sing these things, we ask you to pour out your spirit on this place, that we would be a people who respond, that we would be a people who hear your voice. Pray, God, that you would do a supernatural work in us today. As you've gathered your people together, we submit ourselves now to your will, to your word, to your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.